Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Crew Shaken, a Warhammer 40,000 tabletop wargaming podcast brought to you from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in the United States. I'm your host, Tim. Thank you for joining me. In episode 4, we cover the Astra Militarum or Imperial Guard tanks and walkers. I hope to dive into the history of some of these storied vehicles, as well as their offensive and defensive capabilities and some tactics. In Orbital Upload, we'll be talking about memorizing rules, some tips and tricks to help new and experienced players alike keep up with rules memorization. In Future History, we're talking about strange weapons of 40k. And there are a lot of strange weapons, so that should be good. Crew Shaken is on Facebook at facebook.com slash crew shaken. And if you like what you hear, please do leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you downloaded this podcast. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome my guest here on episode four, Ian. Ian, I'm glad you could be here. Welcome to Crew Shaken. Oh, glad to be here. Hobby progress. What have you been up to? Well, I have my uh, Centurion Devastators. I finally got on that train. Okay. Um, uh, got them in a trade for a friend and have finally finished painting them up. Were you resistant to getting them for any particular reason? I'm just generally uh, the inertia of having been in the game for so long. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of things tend to look like flavors of the week. And if you just step back for six months, they'll pass on by. Mm. Um, so it, it, it's, it's a lot to do with uh, seeing things like... Uh, the Thunderfire Cannon that came up all of a sudden in the uh, in the last edition and was a raving success and has now kind of you know faded from you know perihelion it's 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 uh it's less in favor mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and um the whole the whole of the game seems to uh be trying to climb higher and higher damage potential wise each codex does a little more overall damage than the last one and the devastator the centurion devastators i believe are, are definitely a part of that evolution hmm. for the space marines but it it, it uh, models and formations like that always feel like something that's tacked on yeah. afterwards rather than dealing with the issue the core issue sure so sure um and what tipped you over the edge to get it um Basically, opportunity. I, I was able to get it um, not at market price. Yeah, they're pretty expensive. Yeah. Seventy, uh, some odd dollar kit, yeah. Yeah, and it, it, that's such a turnoff for something that that appears so ephemeral. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I just had it put in front of me, and okay, I'll give them a try. Yeah. And, and they have certainly grown on me via their absolute devastation <laughs> and you're running them with the grab and the grab amps and whatnot yes yeah. yes cool um what did you do to the models it was just a repaint mm-hmm. i got them just primed and uh neat little head swaps on a couple of them with uh gray knight terminator sweet heads yeah very cool very and and fits well with the model yeah i, yeah. I found got around finally to to painting them sweet. i have that inertia in painting as well so yeah i got a, a trio of them used they were unprimed but poorly assembled so I did t- take them apart, kind of sand down all the rough edges, and then primed them. But I primed them in pieces, and in doing so, I found their little riser shoes, because mm-hmm. they're kind of like on miniature stilts, Yes, all three of them, you know, which is kind of cool. So I'm going to paint like the substructure one color, and then do the armor a different color, and then kind of <sighs> glue it all back together again, I think. And I have a bunch of different, because they came headless for some reason. In this box in the used bin, they didn't have any heads. 
So I do have to find heads for them now, to the, now that I think about it. Okay. But they all came with grav and grav amps. What are you going to run them with in the chest? Uh, I like the uh, the hurricane bolters. Yeah. I, I do imperial fists, so hurricane bolters feel very redundant, but with the grav, it's already 250 points for me. I, I run them with a veteran sergeant for that nine leadership. That was my next question is how are you going to run them in your army? Three grav uh, with a veteran sergeant, and that comes to the already land raider heavy 250 points. So. Nice, nice. Yeah. So what else is in that army? I do uh, a demi. I do an Imperial Fist Sternhammer, which is, uh, and I run it as a demi company, uh, fully kitted out. Um, and by, sorry, by fully kitted out, you know, I have a chaplain, I have a dreadnought in there, three tacticals, an assault squad. And then a Devastator squad, and that maximizes my objective secured. Two of the tacticals also have a rhino. As auxiliary, I bring uh, another Devastator squad. I have one maxed out for anti-tank to maximize that ability of my Imperial Fist, and I have the other maxed out with heavy bolters to maximize that ability of my fist. Um, And then my second auxiliary is the Devastators. I always like to think of my Devastators as something of of an eye catcher. They're, Mm -hmm. They're there to get shot at and shot up. You know, they'll, they'll do something scary one turn, but mostly it's keeping all of my objectives secured alive. Gotcha. Yeah, sure, sure. And when you start getting into this Devastator squad, what are you going to do to paint them? Anything uh, interesting or any new techniques you're going to try out? So I've always been in the club that is very much about, as you shade your models, you do one color, you slightly modify the paint, do the next color slightly further back, slightly further back, and you, you create these layers that, that generate the gradient. And the finer, of course, you can do the layers, the mm-hmm cleaner the gradient looks Hmm. Um, but there's always a line if you get up close you can always see the line a buddy has always suggested doing wet blending i have been very much trying to get into that Hmm. how are you going to approach that are you going to use a a drying retarder kind of a thing yes yes it's worked very well so far but there's tech there's still the technique to get it yeah it takes practice yeah i use plane models Mm -hmm. as practice things because their wings are big and it gives you this big plastic surface to paint on, you know? Very nice. So I prime them with the same primer I use for the miniatures and then, like, wet blend the hell out of one wing or whatever, you know, just to try to get a... Or at least test a colorway. Absolutely. Or just what what, what does that technique feel like on plastic? Because practicing on paper, practicing on a sprue is one thing, but the sprue is just that little round edge, right? You can't really get good brush feel. I mean, you can, I guess you can in one, in, in one sense because it's a miniature. But the surface but, area. Yeah, the surface area is nice to have because you can really see it. You can really work that You can work that blend to its <laughs> logical conclusion, whether that be light or dark. Yeah. Absolutely. That's cool. Do you do decals on your stuff? I try not to. Mm-hmm. Um, just the uh, the edges of them, I, I feel, are, are, are very distracting. You get that clear plastic rim around it. So mm-hmm. I, I try to freehand my detailing whenever I can. Sweet. Yeah. And what about the basing on that uh, Devastator Squad? Basing is also something that I need to get better at. I do um, a mix of uh, a coarse and a medium uh, grit, just mixed together, and then I wood glue the base, dip it in that. I I don't spray prime; I brush prime everything. Huh. Uh, so I and I feel that that gives me better coverage, especially for textures like that. Sure, because uh, I don't do a texture paint; I do the you make uh, the material and glue. Then, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. cool. Um, and so. Uh, and then I just dry brush a series of lightning grays uh, over the over the over the now blackened sand. Cool. We'll take a short break and be right back. So managing the meta this episode, we're talking about Imperial Guard or nay Astra Militarum. More specifically, we're talking about the tanks. We're talking about walkers. We're talking about the armored vehicles. 
of the IG or the AM. Are you an Imperial Guard or Astra Militarum? Uh, how do you say it? I, I say Imperial Guard. All right, let's uh, go with Guard then. For okay. the purposes of our episode, we'll call them the Guard, as they are more commonly known. Talk to us about the Imperial Guard tanks. How do they, how do they work? The crux of any aspect of the Imperial Guard is weight of numbers. Any one particular Imperial Guard tank is going to be, in my opinion, kind of a waste of points. You need that volume. You need a parking lot of, of armored vehicles. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, a, a diverse list for the Imperial Guard is always important. You want to have mechanized infantry. You want to have footwalking infantry. You want to have artillery. You want to have tanks. But just taking one of anything is always going to be difficult to manage. Um, they excel in groups. Right. So. I have a quote here that the, uh, the Departamento Munitorum cannot place a figure on the number of guardsmen and tanks under arms. There are simply too many. New recruits and casualties can run into the millions every day. Which just speaks, I mean, as a sidebar, it just is a a nice, pleasant reminder of how large the galaxy is here in 40K. We've got millions of people coming in and out of the Guard every day. We can't even count them. There is no no log, there is no roll call long enough that's going to get everybody mentioned in one fell swoop. So even the High Lords of Terra are like couple trillion, I guess? <laughs> they don't really even know, right? Pure abstract. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how should we start our conversation? Do you want to start up at the top with like the big stuff? Do you want to start with like Bane Blades and the like, or do you want to work our way up from the bottom? Let's, uh, let's go from the top down. Sweet. What's your go-to super heavy tank? Uh, always for me is the Bane Blade itself. Yeah. Uh, that is currently now a Lord of War in Escalation. It's yeah. something that if you so choose, you can field on the regular tabletop. Uh, and so I... I assume that they're out there these days in the regular 40k games. I haven't seen them personally. What's the stat line on a Bane Blade? Well, she's going to be 14, 13, 12 mm-hmm. in her armor values. Um, I believe she is up to 9 hull points these days. Um, and the real virtue of the Bane Blade is the diversity of firepower that it packs. Uh, as a super heavy, all of its weapons can target uh, different units, uh, so it doesn't suffer that uh, that tunnel vision that that your lesser and, <laughs> and standard tanks uh, suffer. So it comes with three twin-linked heavy bolters, two LAS cannons, a demolisher cannon, and then its own. I believe it's called the uh, the mega battle cannon. Uh, and with that, actually, is also a coaxial auto cannon, which is just kind of a little salt in the wound on <laughs> top insult of injury. <laughs> yeah. It, it is forced to fire at the same thing as the mega battle cannon, right. which uh, certainly seems to make it a bit superfluous at some time. So, right. so the Bane blade has, I have just a line about it here. The uh, Bane blade cannon fires rocket assisted shells. So again, just like that bolter, it's like really just a small missile launcher. The Bane blade cannon is just a, it's firing rocket assisted shells. Yeah. <laughs> So much killing. And, and it weighs 316 tons. Oh, okay. That's a big guy. That seems like a conservative estimate, honestly. That is, that is, that is a big guy. And the model is huge, too. I played, I played across one in Dawn of War deployment once, mm-hmm. and it was like right in front of me, turn two, sitting on top of a building... Like, just crushed the building underneath it. Just like, what, what? How are you doing, Tim? Yes. <laughs> I actually got to field mine in an Apocalypse game. Um, it's only about six months ago at this point, And uh, it's one of those tanks that everything wants to shoot at it, which is great. 
but even in an apocalypse game, nine hull points at 14 armor, it's it's a tough nut to crack. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, so you were playing it super aggressively. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I feel that's the best way. So it only has a six-inch move per turn. That's mm-hmm. uh, uh, standard across all of the uh, Imperial Guard super heavies, as far as I'm aware. Mm-hmm. Um, however, six inches every turn... You know, turn two, it's halfway. It's at the halfway mark across the board in Dawn of War deployment. So, and uh, and all of its weapons are at least thirty-six inch. Ra- uh, I'm, excuse me, the Demolisher Cannon is only twenty-four. But even at round two, you're hitting the back uh, your opponent's back edge. Yeah. So. Are there any um, relics or war gear that you add to your Bane Blade? Anything special? I believe you have the option to add a second set of. Um, they have these uh, on the side sponsons. Twinlinked Heavy Bolters is the last cannon on top, and you can add a second oh. set of those. I tend to opt out for that, uh, opt out of that, uh, just because it feels like your bang for your buck is depleted at that point. All right. guns can, of course, still fire in all directions, but I feel that the the point of the Bane Blade is not in its uh, damage output so much as the fact that it's drawing so much fire from your other tanks. Mm. So for those points. Um, y- you are going toward getting another Demolisher or getting another Land Raider. Yeah. Or, um, excuse me, Lehman Russ. Right. Lehman right. Russ battle tank. So. <laughs> it's one of those models like an Imperial Knight that some players will just shoot it because it's big, you know, and they would automatically assume that that's like the, the best thing to go for. Tactically, that seems logical because it's the biggest, nastiest looking thing on the table. So Absolutely. it does form this kind of firing magnet, which is nice. Mm-hmm. So working, coming down from the Bane Blade, what's like the next, the next guy down? So the various uh, iterations of the Bane Blade all have uh, basically swapping out its main cannon for a different kind of for for a more specialized uh, weapon. Gotcha. The Storm Lord has the uh, the big daddy of the Gatling Punisher cannon is a twin linked Vulcan Mega Blaster. Ooh. Um, there's the Shadow Sword, which is a uh, a D weapon. Uh, it's uh, intent uh, the volcano cannon. It's intended to uh, reach out and take down other super heavies. With a name like that, it sounds like it will. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and uh, there, there's one that has a gigantic plasma blaster. Mm. Um, all of these are uh, can can be thought of as big daddy versions of the uh, Lehman Russ variants. Gotcha. In, in their own ways. So to rewind, the Bane Blade is 525 points. That's with the Baneblade Battle Cannon. That's the hull-mounted Demolisher Cannon, Searchlight, Smoke Launchers, and Twin-Linked Heavy Bolters. For 525 points, not too shabby. Mm-hmm. And and nine hull points qualifies as a super heavy vehicle. Or the Baneblade Battle Cannon, 72-inch range. Yes. Wow. <laughs> so Strength 9 AP2, 10-inch Apocalyptic Blast. That's kind of awesome. Yeah. That's going to instant kill a lot of stuff. Yeah. That's a lot of dead things under a 10-inch pie plate. That's great. And the Demolisher Siege Cannon, which it also has stock, 24-inch range, strength 10 AP2. That's a 5-inch blast. Heavy Bolter's Auto Cannon. Yeah, for 525 points, that's a lot of killing. That's it's a little bit more than a knight, but you're getting more points. More, yeah, more points and more of the little detail weapons. Yeah. So the next guy down in terms of size from the Bane Blade... Those would be an Imperial Armor uh, variant called the Malkadors. Uh-huh. Um, they're kind of a, 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 a super heavy light. They'll have four hull points, and they also come with a, with a strange array of weapons um, that are completely distinct 
for many of the other standard Lehman Russes. For instance, there's one Malkador, the Malkador Defender, which is just kitted out with five heavy bolters around it. There, hmm. <laughs> it, it is very much in the vein of, of more World War I tanks, whereas I feel like many of the Imperial Guard tanks are World War II oriented these are world war one oriented tanks interesting what about them are more world war one do you think the aesthetic uh does seem to be a bit more uh in in that line and the the orientation of the specifically with the uh, malkador defender does look like uh, a mark one female the uh, allied tank uh that was kitted out with only machine guns uh, in uh and and a cross between that and the the french renault which were were both the Renault female also was only machine guns. So. Interesting, interesting. So the Malkador is a Forge World model, you said? Yes. Would it also fill a Lord of War slot, or is that a heavy support choice? It is also Lord of War. Oh, 14, 13, 12s, mm-hmm. uh, but only the four, four hull points. What's the best weapon option on them, you think? Very situational. Uh, there is a Malkador that has a twin-linked battle cannon, which I think um, is probably your best bet across them. There's uh, the Annihilator variant that is a twin-linked LAS, um, and the, the Defender that has the five heavy bolters. Uh, again, it feels like this tank is more intended to bullet magnet hmm. than to specifically accomplish any key uh, objective securing or, yeah. or unit annihilating role. And so having something like the twin-linked battle cannon feels more eye-catching to yep, me. Sure. Equally as large as the Baneblade, or I'm thinking it's a bit smaller? Yeah. It is It is smaller, maybe three-quarters the size. Mm-hmm. It's a good median point between a Lehman Russ and a Baneblade. Gotcha. And down from that, what's next down in the chain? Next down is the Lehman Russ and all of its variants. Yeah, there's a ton of them. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, and you said before something interesting. This reminds you more of a World War II uh, current era, if you will, uh, tank. Yes, in in the sense that it has a turret that is very obvious and free rotating, ah. as opposed to the Malkadors, which don't have turrets. They they have a, a fixed weapon mounts. So um, the vehicle has to turn to change its firing point. Correct. Yes. Gotcha. Uh, whereas the the Lehman Russ has this turret-mounted weapon that has a 360 arc independent of its forward-firing weapon, or if you choose the Sponson weapons. Right. According to the lore, invented by Lehman Russ, the Primarch of the Space Wolves. The man himself. The man himself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, Kind of from a a bygone era of 40k, the... uh, you you don't you wouldn't necessarily associate the Space Wolves with such a tank these days. Um, And so it does feel... Uh, a bit out of out of place. Hmm. The lore of uh, of maybe twenty years ago does, is is not all in step with the lore of today. So. Yeah, sure. Interesting that that one was designed by a Primark, as opposed to like the Baneblade, for instance. Uh, the lore behind that is that it was from a you know an ancient STC, and they're only made on Mars, and it's like a very the, you know the majority of them are made on Mars, you know by the Adeptus Mechanicus and everything. And, mm-hmm. Interesting that a, a Primark actually had a hand in the design of that one. Yes. Cool. So how do they fit into your army? In eras gone by, I would have uh, two of them uh, in my army. As eras two. gone by, meaning additions gone by? As, uh, yes. Hmm. In, in additions gone by, I would have two of them as heavy support units in my army. But these days, you're allowed to squadron up to three of them in one uh, heavy support slot. Um, and so I feel like taking squadrons of two uh, is the the best way to handle it um having diversity of fire in the individual squadrons i think is is relatively important too again the individual damage output of any one unit of imperial guard is going to be relatively minor uh so having uh a a 
conflict of, of design, for instance, having a the Vanquisher pattern, which is a specifically anti-armor weapon, having a, 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 a cannon that fires an armor bane shell, right. and then pairing that with a Lehman Rust battle tank, the standard variant, whose shell is often considered more anti-infantry. Mm. Uh, some people uh, may look at that and go, well, you, you seem to be wasting fire one way or the other, because no matter what type you're shooting at, you're not getting the optimum output sure, from each individual. One's going to be stronger than the other, yeah. Absolutely. At, at a certain, in a certain use case. But with the Imperial Guard, I think that uh, the important aspect of pairing those two together is more their, their volume of fire and maintaining that flexibility with that fire. Again, the sub-role of the tank is often to draw fire mm-hmm. rather than to necessarily output fire. Sure. So keeping them dangerous uh, regardless of what your opponent has is uh, is going to be a key aspect of all of your tank squadrons. Terrific, and so you can run them in a squadron of three. What? How? So how would you outfit them? You said you'd have the battle cannon on one. Yes, I tend to run uh, one standard Lehman Rust battle tank uh, with a Laz cannon. Laz cannon, okay. Uh, backed up by a demolisher with a Laz cannon. Oh, I see. Um, the Laz cannon is another 15 points on top of the 150 for the standard Lehman Russ or the 160 for the Demolisher. However, the uh, the Laz Cannon keeps it a dangerous unit even when the main armament is destroyed. Gotcha. So, again, making sure that they are always a target of interest for your opponent. Right. Very key to my particular strategy with the Guard. And I, I, I feel that there's a certain intent. That, that is the intent behind the Guard, is, is always that your tanks are there to keep the rest of your army safer hmm. from firepower. Sure. Next down the rung, what's below that Lehman Russ? So below the Lehman Russ, you're getting into um, the Hellhound and, to a lesser extent, all of the Chimera chassis vehicles. So the Hellhound is uh, the only fast tank of the standard Imperial Guard. There are Forge World models that provide fast vehicles in the, in the Imperial Guard force, but right out of the Codex, you'll have the Hellhound and its two buddy, uh, two buddy variants, the Banewolf and the, uh, the Devil Dog. Mm-hmm. And those are still manned vehicles, yes? Yes. Okay. They are fast, as I said, and they're also unique from the other Chimera chassis variants uh, because they have 12 side armor. This kind of fits with the fact that they're supposed to be kind of forward-ranging scout mm-hmm. units, so you need that side armor to protect, whereas most other Chimera chassis units have other Chimera chassis units to protect their sure. side armor. Yeah. Um, and uh, all three of those, uh, of the, the Hellhound and its two uh, variants, uh, serve a, a very niche function in their own right. The Devil Dog uh, has a, uh, a Melta cannon, uh, so it's very anti-armor oriented. The Bane Wolf has a Chem cannon, which is a poisoned but AP3 weapon. So your MEQ uh, slaughter there. They got issues, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the... Uh, the uh, um, the Hellhound itself uh, has a uh, Torrent 6-4 Flamer, and that has always been the, the classic uh, assault tank for, hmm. uh, uh, for the Imperial Guard. So, so those are faster than some of the other Imperial Guard armored vehicles? Yes, they can move six inches and uh, fire both of their weapons uh, as, any, uh, as any fast vehicle can. Right. So it allows you to run them very quickly and still uh, maintain good fire with them because they have that front-mounted weapon as all the uh, uh, 
as all the chimera chassis weapons do and one of their very one of their options is to take a multi-melta mm. as that front firing weapon it is a ballistic skill three multi-melta but again this is kind of a, a light version of the distraction that the Lehman Russ has. Right. So if you have two Lehman Russes in a squadron together and you have one or two of these hellhounds with a multi-melta, when the Lehman Russes go down or when the Lehman Russes no longer become a threat, you still have the hellhounds and running around causing mayhem. Yeah, and, they can still pack a punch. Yes. Yeah. So tactically, how are you going to use them? What role are they going to fill when you're playing? I like to use them as either outflankers uh, to always keep my opponent threatened within 12 inches of the board edge. Their weapons are much shorter range than the other outflankers that uh, we'll get to in a second. But um, they are still as fast tanks and as a 12-12-10 vehicle. Uh, rather imposing. Uh, armor value 12 puts you in a position that uh, most of most of your light uh, anti-armor weapons, your autocannons, your missile launchers, uh, now need to be brought in quantity right. to really stall you. Yeah, you need more volume of dice. Yeah, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And because they have the 12 as well, that outflank does not expose them their side armor. Or it does expose their side armor, but the, the 12 on the side helps to you know alleviate a lot of the tension there. And I also feel that uh, when they are used uh, to scout uh, in the first round, uh, it, it's uncommon to get them objective secured. So in a Maelstrom game, they are not as effective as like uh, running up and, and seizing one of those objectives sure. uh, further afield. So I, I feel that a lot of times they're just something easy for your opponent's melted guns to come to grips with first. Mm-hmm. Sure. So Something to run up in their faces, keep them busy. Keeping, uh, they are not kept busy for long, unfortunately. Mm. Is but. it three hull points? Yes, yeah. three hull points. Cool. Um, the wyverns, where do wyverns fit in this kind of hierarchy? So wyverns are the chimera chassis. They yeah. are the 12 10, 10 uh, and they are in the artillery park. They're part of their own little formation, uh, so you can take up to three of them in a squadron. Um, and they have uh, usurped one of my old favorites, the griffin, which was the old heavy mortar. These now are a dedicated anti-infantry, just annihilation tank. They do incredibly well. I, 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 would, I would actually put them on par with the advent of the Thunderfire Cannon, as we discussed before. This tank can put down significant shredding power right. uh, that just eats up any, any foot slog unit will, will take significant, significant casualties from these. And it, it fills a niche that the other artillery tanks then can be diverted onto dedicated anti-armor. Uh, they pair very well with another artillery tank, the Manticore. Uh, the Manticore uh, has a 10-4 D3 large blast weapon, an absurdly powerful weapon, but really works well as an anti-tank weapon because it is ordnance. So strength 10, mm. up to three hits, and with that ordnance re-roll, yep. it's, it's really excellent in that role. And then backed up by the Weverns, it does not now have to also split its attention between, say, uh, the impending doom of, of, of a wave of 
uh, orc boys or right. or, or uh, tyranid swarm coming in. Sure. The wyvern is essentially firing shrells of shrapnel that explode in air above the foe. Yes. It's a pretty great image there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of the one of the war crime, the well, I guess most of the weapons in 40k are absolute war crimes, but uh, <laughs> the the cluster shells of today. That's right. Yeah. And the uh, the blast template. It's a small blast, but it 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 works as such where it keeps flipping over itself onto more and more stuff. Yes, that barrage aspect of it is yeah. uh, particularly brutal. Uh, so we were talking about the Chimera chassis yes. stuff. What's down from that? So down from that now is the kind of the, the half-brother of the Chimera transport has uh, come out. Just this edition is the Torox. It's uh, an odd an odd unit that I, I, I haven't found a good uh, way to think about it yet because I, I feel that it's a, it's a vehicle that at... Uh, 11 armor, 11, 11, 10, is as well protected as the Chimera. Weapons that are shooting at the Chimera are also shooting at the Torox. It loses one on the front, but it gains one on the side, which I feel is a good compromise. But the Torox feels incredibly overgunned. Most of them come with two weapons and with a number of options. Uh, blast, autocannon variants, autocannons. Uh, the, uh, the Tempesters can take it. Uh, with their own volley gun as a as an upgrade it's it's just strange in that it feels like it's trying to do too much at how fragile it is hmm. the imperial guard as exists tends to spread out the damage across all of its units relatively easily as i said one unit doesn't do any particularly large amount of damage but the sheer volume of units is what allows you to kick out the necessary firepower sure the torox feels like it's the new kid on the block trying to prove itself. And it's a transport as well, the Torox. It is a transport. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it can only handle 10, um, which honestly isn't that much of an issue most of the time. It is nice to be able to stick various independent characters in with certain guard squads, but the Tempesters tend not to need independent characters with them. So capacity of 10 is not a handicap for it. Just it seems odd in comparison to the Chimera. And that's that's the kind of the pickup truck looking one, the Torox. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I also tend to find it looks rather orky. It does look kind of orky, yeah. Yeah, I've seen it with both tank treads and a wheel modification, I think, which is kind of cool. Yes. I like that. So what about the, uh, the unmanned weapons, the unmanned armored weapons of the Imperial Guard? So those are um, Imperial armor units that, that came about starting in 3rd edition, I believe. There's the Cyclops Demolition Vehicle, which is kind of just a, a neat, silly thing. It's not necessarily that dangerous or that impressive. It's it's just a, a debt pack on treads. Um, <laughs> it's very fun, and uh, and you can do some interesting things with it. I, I believe they can be carried by the Gorgon Transport, which is the Death Corps of Krieg 40-man transport super heavy. Um, and is that the one that kind of looks like a like a, like an assault boat? Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, very I've seen that model. That's a cool model. Right. <laughs> it's one of those things that's very Krieg because you just look at that and go, "Wow, someone could just run up there and chuck a frag grenade, and you got you know thirty dead guardsmen, yeah, yeah ten there's... guys who have no hearing left." Yeah. So. There's some there's something about the uh, the Krieg models from Forge World that they all look so desperate and just so. Like not half-assed, but I think desperate is a good word. Yes. They, the, 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 the Krieg stuff looks so desperate and so 
dirty and already downtrodden and beat up. You know, even at their best, they're like, ugh. I, I highly recommend reading the fluff of the Siege of Vrax books, especially the first two, because the description of the way that the Death Corps of Krieg go to war is horrendous it's pretty good yeah, yeah. Pretty even good. even in grim dark <laughs> the death core of krieg are particularly grim and dark and they have like the gas mask uh, kind of apparatus all over their yes, faces and that, everything and that true like world war one germany at war yeah. look they're like right off right off verdun or something yes. <laughs> <laughs> and pask we can't forget about Pask. Absolutely. So Pask is uh, similar to uh, Kronos in the uh, in the uh, Space Marine Codex. He, he'll he be an upgrade onto a tank, in this case a tank commander. He's only 40 points, but he does some really unique things. He upgrades the tank to uh, Velisic Skill 4, um, but uh, with his uh, crack shot ability, he really makes any tank you put him on truly devastating and it's it's different for each and every tank that he gets put into so that uh, that that buff changes depending upon what he's commanding yes very cool uh for instance uh with the uh higher damage cannons your your battle cannon on the standard lehman russ the vanquisher that anti-tank cannon and the demolisher the 10-2 blast uh pass can reroll to hit so you know making sure you're getting those right on target right so where you cool. need it wow. yeah uh the exterminator which is this uh it's it's a souped up auto cannon. think of um like a like a hydra in in tank variant um uh, gives it rending, so mm. seven four four shot twin link rending. Less impressiveness than than uh, than the rerolling hits on a ten two large blast ordnance, but still, <laughs> still devastating in its own right. Yeah. But the uh, the best, in my opinion, is definitely on the executioner tank. He gives it uh, a different firing profile. Now the executioner is a three shot plasma cannon, in essence, um, which. Definitely exposes the executioner to burning itself down. Mm. I've definitely seen more executioners destroyed by themselves than by external attack. Um, but he turns it into a one-shot large blast, which, for what the executioner is usually trying to do, it's a safer way of going about it. You get mm. this one large blast down to wipe out a tactical squad or, you know, go after those MEQ blobs yeah, out there. So yeah. it also means that the executioner is probably optimally deployed with uh, two plasma cannon sponsons. Mm. So the normal executioner is rolling five gets hot rolls per turn. His is only rolling three. Right. Right. So, so the odds are in your favor with him on board with Pask on the executioner. Yes. Right. Very cool. So no conversation about the armored stuff of the guard would be complete without talking about the walkers. So there are two variants. There's the armored, uh, which is it, – it has the, uh, the 12 front armor, and it can also take the plasma cannon. But it loses the ability, I think, that really stands out for the Sentinel amongst the Imperial Guard list, which is with the Scout Sentinel, you get Scout. Uh, and Scout makes the Sentinel truly – impressive in my opinion i i really enjoy sentinels i know that they don't tend to be that favored this edition but my you know creme de la creme run of them is with an autocannon and a hunter killer missile awesome. it's a it's a kind of a, an odd setup it puts them all the way up to 50 points a piece and i run a pair of them so for 100 points the idea is that they outflank and you have all of a sudden this six shot good medium 
uh, AT weapon. Right. That, you know, there's still ballistic skill three, but it's six shots with two of those being strength eight. You know, they're, they're very, again, threatening in the same way that I used those hellhounds before. But this time, they threaten the whole board. Right. So, uh, they are walkers, so they can, you know, walk on six and fire their weapons. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's always itching the back of your opponent's head. Uh, making, making, them, making them very cautious to that unit. So There's the open-topped version, which is the scout version, yes. yes. And then the armored version is not an open-topped vehicle. Right. Uh, the, the armored Sentinel is, uh, is not open-topped. Uh, but the, the survivability between the two, they're two hull-point vehicles. You know, they, they just don't have the low-profile that you want from something like that. They are as tall as a Lehman Russ. Oh, I see. You mean physically they're just, they're just too big. Right. They're mm-hmm. hard to hide. Mm-hmm. They don't have like a like a jump-shoot-jump ability. Mm-hmm. So anytime you put them somewhere, because of the weapons that they will carry, they're probably going to draw fire. Hmm. So Any kind of field or any invul save you can get them? No. 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 They, they just are what they are. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They are. All guard units are fundamentally fragile for what they are outside of the Lehman Russ. Mm. But the volume of Sentinels, I feel that you really should be... Ta- like I, I'm, I'm sure there are fun themed lists out there that spam Sentinels. Uh, there is the formation that requires you to take Sentinels. So if you take a sufficient number of this formation that requires uh, you know, this many platoons of guardsmen with a Sentinel right. squadron to babysit them, gotcha. um, then you could have quite a few out there. But I, I, I feel that point for point, they have a kind of a niche role to be applied to. And from there, they, they kind of feel like they're taking up space. So they're going to do so. their work and they're going to kind of sit out in open or have a hard time getting cover. So they're not going to last particularly long. Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. I saw a, uh, a photograph of a Katachan version of one for jungle warfare with a flamer and some kind of like and the chain buzzsaw. weapon. Yeah, the yes. buzzsaw <laughs> in the front, which is so cool. Yes. That's so cool. In in past editions, that actually gave it an additional attack. I'm not <laughs> sure if that still exists. It, I, it's not in the regular codex, so it so. could run and charge with that buzzsaw weapon. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, they they're a strength six walkers, so in a pinch, they can do fun things like if they weren't able to shoot down that vehicle, then the next turn after they come on, they can start assaulting vehicles. Yeah, just and it, it's funny because you imagine them kicking them, right? Running exactly. up and, yeah. and yep. kicking yep. the yep. vehicle. Here's a knee and a toe. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> One of the things I like about the idea of, of a guard army is that they can be so flavorful and so characterful, right? You have all these different regiments pulled from all these different worlds, each with their own kind of look and feel visually and attack style and fighting style and combat style, right? So a Katachan, like, jungle intense unit is going to have all that really kind of – the look of it is going to be more like, you know, like like the, like the Rambo. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to be red with, with, you know, really straightforward army camouflage. And the tank tops and the – the uh, robustly heterosexual musculature. For sure, yeah, right down to a lot of those Forge World models, which speak directly to that kind of flavor of each of those regiments. Absolutely. Yeah. So what was your regiment of choice? I cheated and decided not to pick one. There is a definite aspect of the fluff of uh, 40k Imperial Guard that after these grand wars, the, you have a lot of stray units sitting around. You'll have whole regiments devastated down to a squad or a company, and if they can't fold them into existing uh, regiments from that world, they'll make ad hoc units of just all these units mashed back together. 
And, uh, you know, if they have the equipment to re-equip all of them into a standard way, they will. But, you know, I have a, a Steel Legion unit. I have an Elysian unit. I have a Death Corps of Krieg unit. I have Cadians. Personally, uh, Catechins aren't my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I see no reason why you couldn't have those mixed in with everything else, too. So, so you've got that real Bad News Bears kind of uh, tenth first yes. and only kind of feel. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. And and that's that's a lot of the fun of the Imperial Guard, um, that you do get this idea of the individual flavor of all of the units is so unique, uh, a lot more so than I feel a lot of the Space Marine chapters. Hmm. And uh, that actually kind of, it, it, it feels like a wasted opportunity a lot with a lot of the Imperial Guard stuff I've been seeing recently. Because in the 4th edition Guard Codex, you were able to do this neat thing where you could take five choices from a pool of a number of kinds of units and a number of abilities. And you were able to pick five things from that. Mm-hmm. And so you could pick that you had veterans, and you had rough riders, and you had heavy weapons, and you had the light infantry ability, and you had the diehards ability. And that was your special regiment from whatever fun little cooked up world you had. Right. And of course, we've come into an era, there, there was several similar things. The Space Marines had a similar setup in 4th edition, and we've definitely moved away from that. But I feel like there was definitely a missed opportunity in these last round of books where there could have been something very similar to the Space Marine chapter tactics for the individual, and and of course, the existing known regiments. You know, you have your your uh, Steel Legion rules, you have your Elysian rules. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Before we talk about your kind of take-all-comers guard list... Let's talk about what you would change about the Guard in its current state. You kind of talked about what you liked about it in previous editions and how some of that flavor is lost. Is there something to be brought back that might uh, turn more people on to playing a Guard army or making it more competitive and therefore more desirable? Absolutely. So getting into a little history, in the 5th edition Guard Codex, Guard all of a sudden got a lot of very uh, unique and fun artillery, uh, including the Manticore and... uh, a Medusa, which was a, the demolisher cannon at 36 inches. And so it was suddenly incredibly powerful in addition, in, in an addition of the game that made vehicles very difficult to destroy. Mm. And I think there was a knee-jerk reaction to the overwhelming power of that force. And I'm certainly not calling for a return to that power, but I feel that the current destructibility of vehicles is very appropriate to the Imperial Guard, but perhaps a drop in points to make them more abundant. I feel like the Imperial Guard should actually be more numerous than an orc army on the table. Hmm. In uh, third edition, the the advent of the Armageddon Codex, um, which was the introduction of the Steel Legion, uh, set up a, a little fluff piece wherein the commander of the Steel Legion was looking over the masses of his units, the the innumerable chimeras, the rolling bane blades, the few titans that were moving with parking them. Parking lots upon parking lots. Parking yeah. lots upon parking lots. <laughs> and and I just love the imagery of that, and mm-hmm. I feel that that is the crux of the Imperial Guard, is that no one unit is going to make this happen. You just need to bury your opponent in models. Yeah. And I, I just feel like these days the, the destructive level of most other armies mean that the Imperial Guard does not have enough bodies on the field. Right. So let's turn the conversation to tactics a little bit. 
What's your take-all-comers guard list look like these days? Well, I like to definitely approach it from a combined arms stance. I have my tanks, I have my artillery, I have my mechanized infantry, and I have my foot sloggers. Uh, each aspect uh, definitely is is pivotal to the idea of guard. You need your massive bodies, just humans with a bayonet and some guts behind it standing there to you know, hold your home field objectives and to create a, a constant and static threat for your opponent. I like to have a, a big blob squad of 30 guardsmen with uh, three flamers and uh, three, uh, three las cannons in it. That will also have three sergeants with power weapons and a commissar with a power weapon. And that unit is a constant annoyance. It's never really a threat, but a constant annoyance with those three las cannons. It's difficult to shift. You know, it's 31 wounds, yeah. although the heavy weapon squads means it's only 28 actual bodies. 31 wounds, and then it has the three flamers for wall of flame and the four power weapons in it to, to mean that assaults. Assaulting guardsmen is always a good call. Right. But they are certainly not going to get bulldozed sure. with those weapons in it. I'll back that up. I like to have a company command squad. I, I currently prefer that over the option of taking an, a, a commander in a tank. Uh, I feel that the orders are fairly important for guard, uh, even mixed guard. Mm. Just the utility box that you give up. Commander in a tank can only give orders to other tanks. And I feel like that cuts off. Obviously, if you played an all tank force, that would work just Less of fine. a concern, right? But then again, I, I feel that comes back to the the points cost. You have tanks that are just at this point so expensive versus the amount of damage they put out that it's not cost efficient in the uh, in the end. Mm -hmm. um, so with my foot sloggers, I back them up with a company command squad and a chimera because. The Chimera, these days, uh, a unit that's in a vehicle is considered off the table. However, the Chimera specifically allows a command squad of any stripe in their in that vehicle to still give orders outside of the vehicle. Oh, so they have like a Voxcaster or something like that. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Sure. Although Voxcasters, in that's my opinion, separate, are, that's a separate uh, yes, thing, Yes, that, is, that yeah. is an upgrade you can take. If both the unit giving the order and the unit receiving the order have a Voxcaster, you can reroll the leadership test to succeed at the uh, at the result. However, I feel that that is a bit of um, excessive points, in my opinion, especially in a uh, in an army where you don't want to pile a lot of pretty mm. on your units. The more toys you give your units, the more points you're just losing because they're supposed to die. Mm. So. <laughs> That's one way to think about it, yeah. Right. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. And, and as as a guard player, you kind of need to have that, you know, emotional detachment from your units. I, I, yeah. I know a lot of people that I started playing with, you know, 10, 15 years ago who really liked guard um, because, you know, they, they're kind of the easiest army to connect with. Mm. It's humans. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. just regular humans against the horrors of the galaxy. It's right. very romantic mm -hmm. in, in, uh, in that sense. And, uh, you know, they couldn't deal with the casualties like it, it it is very disheartening to see you know i i just spoke about that 30-man blob squad and how resilient it is but you lose half of that blob squad every turn you have to be okay with sacrificing bodies in order to really play it effectively absolutely <laughs> absolutely because that 30-man blob squad another aspect of them is they're bubble wrapping 
that chimera that the command squad yes is so that was my next question how, how does that how do they work together and it would be a bubble wrap yes yeah, and sure. i i will often stick my artillery in that group as well mm. so it is it is a very obvious target for blast weapons of all stripes because essentially if you scatter plasma anywhere in there you're doing damage right. but the trade-off being that you know you have your orders present and it protects the artillery which if you move it you dramatically you you essentially remove its function mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so cool so you have the command squad and the chimera you have this big blob of infantry around it what else is in that take all comers list you have the artillery park there as well i have my two uh lehman russes i have uh i i like to run it as a, a, a unit of one hellhound just one hellhound outflanking two of the scout sentinels i described outflanking and then whatever points left i like to pack in a bunch of mech vets a chimera with 10 veterans with um i have two setups that i particularly enjoy grenadiers with flamers hmm. Um, which it, which gives them four up armor, and then I like the flamers in the chimera because chimera chimeras that run around uh, in that re- in that regard in my army tend to get assaulted, mm. and then you have this wall of flame overwatching them, which is a fun little twist because you don't often see the occupants of a vehicle providing overwatch to that vehicle. Right. So sure. it, it is something that I have caught more than one person off guard with. Way cool. Um, and then um, I also enjoy uh, veterans with uh, shotguns and melt-a-guns. Um, and if you give them crack grenades, it allows them to uh, get out of the vehicle, hide behind the chimera, and then the next turn provide this close-in melta and then crack grenade assault force for opponents' vehicles. Right, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So. Yeah. Um, grenadiers, can we rewind to the Grenadiers? What are they all about? Yes, so veterans have three upgrades uh, that kind of change the nature of them. There's forward sentries, which gives them camo cloaks and defensive grenades. There is demolitions, which gives every one of them melt-a-bombs. Lame. Uh, you know, these days, you know, hey, I got 10, three toughness, five up guys with melt bombs. So that was kind of a waste. Mm-hmm. But it also gives them uh, the demolition pack, which is mm-hmm. a, an 8-2 blast ordnance weapon, which is just fun to throw. That's at, cool. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> at short range, because mm-hmm. more often than not, it scatters back onto right, your own unit. Right, right. <laughs> yep, yep. For the emperor. Yep. Yeah, for the emperor. <laughs> uh, and then you have grenadiers, which for 15 points, uh, Gives gives the uh, gives the guardsmen something to wear over their t-shirts. Mm. Uh, the the long-standing joke is that the armament of the guard is flashlights and t-shirts. They're las guns and five up armor, <laughs> and the grenadiers then gives them four up armor. Oh, I see. Gotcha. Cool. So, cool. Cool. Uh, so keep on going. You have the grenadiers. You have these veterans with shotguns. Who else? Right. So that. Um, and then I have some fun units I like to run every once in a while. I like the uh, there's the flyer that's the Valkyrie. Mm. Uh, which is a, a flying transport um, that can hover. Uh, and it has a fun ability that allows for a grav shoot insertion. This is a, a danger close uh, kind of uh, very daring maneuver wherein... Uh, Sounds like a fireman's pole. Yes. The <laughs> Valkyrie will fly, will, will be flying, and no matter how far you moved, you can still disembark from the vehicle. The unit picks a point along the line and then scatters. Whoa. <laughs> if that unit incurs a uh, deep strike mishap, it's gone. Right. <laughs> it's an automatic one automatic on the mishap one. table. No, no. 
but a platoon command squad, which is uh, a unit that you have to take if you take uh, an Imperial Guard platoon, which I have with my 30-man block, mm. is allowed to take four special weapons. And that Valkyrie can drop off this platoon commander with four flamers. Oh, so when that works, it really works. Yes, <laughs> yes. It is a sight to see. I know some people like to run them uh, with melted guns or plasma guns for a similar shock effect. But that platoon command squad with four flamers is 50 points. So if you lose it, it was 50 points. (laughs) That's so cool. Do you just run the one Valkyrie? I tend to. um, I used to also have a Vendetta. So I'd run one Vendetta and one Valkyrie. uh, And I'd use... Uh, I would actually have the platoon command squad in the Vendetta. The Vendetta is equipped with three twin-linked LAS cannons, mm. the trade-off being it only has a capacity of six, whereas the Valkyrie has a capacity of 12, and it has, um, by default, uh, two Hellstrike missiles and a multi-laser, and can be upgraded then with multiple rocket pods. Does that come with the gravity shoot stock? Or is that under- yes, that's that is inherent to the vehicle. So you can, send, you, can, you can get all 12 guys down. Yes. That's just great. Yeah. Yes. So, so cool. you know, if you're feeling bold, uh, you know, a, a company command squad with a Lord Commander attached, with a priest attached, with a Master of Ordnance, an Astropath, and a Master <laughs> of the Fleet, and just... The, the the biggest unit you could imagine just suddenly dropping down like that. Wherever so, you want them along that Wherever path. you want yeah. them. So cool. Good. So that gives you... It gives you an infantry blob. It gives you some artillery. You have a couple of tanks in there. You have some flyers. That seems like a good balance against a, a number of different armies. So you, so you, you bring that to a game... What's what's your best matchup? What do you feel the best about seeing with a list like that across the table? What do you think, oh, I got this? Undoubtedly, Imperial Guard's strength is fighting hordes. Mm. Whenever you have a big... Whenever it's mob on mob, the Imperial Guard definitely has the advantage because mob armies, in my experience, tend to be close combat, and the Imperial Guard do a great job at scything down the opponents mm. before they even get close. So if I see, you know, a big, you know, wog in front of me or a Tyranid horde... Those are what I'm looking for. I think uh, the the best matchup that I've ever personally played against was actually a uh, green tide formation, which is just all the boys that the orc player can possibly even fit on the table. At that point, the guard can't miss. Right. So <laughs> you can scatter wherever you want. <laughs> you can scatter wherever you want. You got something. Right. Right. Isn't the green tide where you can they can reroll units back onto the board? Yes. Too? Yeah. Yes. Which. You know, more power to them because it's just filling more targets back onto the board. Kill all you want, we'll grow more. Right. (laughs) That's great. So I feel that's actually something that's definitely missing from the uh, Imperial Guard these days. There used to be one of the special commanders um, who's alluded to as a an artifact you can place uh, you can select in the current uh, Guard Codex. Used to be able to be taken as a platoon commander, and he allowed you to recycle the Conscript Squad, which is a Conscript Squad is just a big. Blob. It has no character. It's 20 to 50 guys, and he used to be able to just, oh, I am choosing to an- t- to remove this unit. It counts as destroyed as a kill point for you. Next turn, it walks back on the field. <laughs> oh, it's a cool rule. I like right. that. So That's it's not really even good. they all died. Yeah. They all were shot <laughs> by the guardsmen and came back on. It's very flavorful. Yeah. <laughs> so you bring that army to a match, and what do you really not like to see across the table? What, uh, what, what has you scared? What has the guard scared? Um... Anytime you have an assault army that is going to be able to deliver its payload, you're obviously the the orbital strike force of the Space Marines that just puts two assault squads into close combat that first turn. 
uh, if I see three Land Raiders packed, like a, the Land Raider spearhead with the first company strike force, you know, that's got a pretty good chance of getting into assault. Um, and all, all of Imperial Guard vehicles are very susceptible to assault. Uh, the Demolisher, which I run with the Lehman Russ, is special because it has 11 rear armor. And that's why I like to pair it with the Lehman Russ, because it gives that unit... I, I, can, I can do a little bit of pass blocking mm-hmm. kind of deal mm-hmm. with, with mm-hmm. the LRBT, the, the Lehman Russ battle tank, uh, with that 11 rear armor. But even still... Um, it, it, it's still extremely vulnerable. And then the, the 30-man blob squad, even with the flamers, even with the power weapons, you know, they, they, they can deter a normal unit. Like 10 tactical marines will be obviously deterred from assaulting that unit. Five assault terminators will not. Yeah, right. Sure, so. sure, sure. You, you had mentioned in our prep for this episode that you had played your guard list last week, and you were reminded why you don't tend to play the guard list so often anymore. What happened in that game? Yes, um, we're, uh, we were paired against an ADMEC force, the, the newest iteration of 30k ADMEC, and the sheer volume of fire that that current ADMEC force can put out just... I, I was joking that the whole beginning of the game that like we were just going to put down too many bodies, <laughs> it, it, we couldn't we couldn't be killed, and I think the game ended on turn five. I had four models, not wow. units, four models <laughs> still on the table. I feel like a lot of of those powerful shooting armies these days. You get your uh, your your Tau and and uh, and and your your Eldar. Uh, jet bikes yeah. and whatnot that, that are tricked out with scatter lasers. Those do so much damage to guard uh, that it's, it's overwhelming. In this episode's orbital upload section, where we talk about tips and tricks related to hobbying or playing 40K, we're talking about memorizing rules. Ian, what are your thoughts? What have you done over the years of you? You've been playing 40K for a long time. Yes. What have you found helpful over the years to help you memorize rules? In in the time I've played, there have been quite a few additions that go by, and obviously they all have their little tweaks and, and nudges and, and whatnot. And then you have some major overhauls in there, which are way easier to handle what edition did you start in i started right at the beginning of third edition gotcha um which had a little mini twist in its own right so you had third and essentially a a three and a half edition there's definitely been a lot of evolution uh, that i've gone through and the big the big thing that i've always encountered is getting out there and playing a lot obviously repetition is important with memorizing rules i think a lot of it comes down to people agreeing on what makes sense. So you come to a a game, you have an odd situation, and let's roll. Four up it happens, one to three it doesn't. So I'm not necessarily advocating for ignorance of rules, simply that the mercurial nature of this rule set through the ages lends itself a lot more to both players coming to an equitable understanding rather than memorizing every new change. Yeah, because, every rule for every army. Right. Yes, right. So many of them are so subtle. You get these strange changes. For instance, and this is something that I just realized going through it, in the Imperial Guard Codex, a lot of the artillery pieces have just disappeared. 
They're no longer represented. They're Forge World models only now. And these were models that were just in the Codex, you know, a couple of years ago. Right. So. Hmm. So, in addition to playing a lot, have you ever... Fa- <clears throat> In addition to playing a lot, how do you feel about things like cheat sheets, index cards, notes, that kind of thing? Those are all incredibly valuable, especially um, the to hit and to wound charts. Right. Uh, for instance, when uh, in close combat, when uh, having a weapon skill just one or two or three below your opponent no longer incurred a direct penalty, it's now still a four up to hit. That was a huge change for me. I think I probably played a half dozen games before I realized that shift was in there. Right. So right. getting those charts out there can be incredibly advantage, hmm. advantageous. Advantageous, yeah. Seventh edition was my first edition of playing 40K, and I found it really helpful to use an app called Rules 40K. It's an Android and iOS app, and it does have the codices in it, but I really just use it for the main rulebook stuff. And it's an alphabetical listing of basically everything that's in that uh, special rules section of the main rulebook. So, A, Armor Bane, Adamantium Will. You know, I would just start reading them and trying to memorize them from A through Z. And I did get all the way from, I think Adamantium Will might be the first one in there. Or acute senses, I think is actually right. the first one, <laughs> all the way to zealot. Whatever you know? the order, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I made it. I made it all the way to zealot, and then I would kind of treat them like flashcards, where I would look at the one in the list. Okay, what does that mean? Then click on it. Oh, I got it right. I was wrong. Okay, nope. Rending is not that. Shred is that. Right. Rending is this. I still forget a lot of stuff, but I found that I, I found that helpful. Cool. We'll take a break, and we'll return. And we're back with future history. In this episode, we're talking about strange weapons of the Imperium. These are weapons that maybe you don't see often, or you do, and they're just really freaky and super grimdark, super thematic, and super scary. Uh, we'll start with you, Ian. What, what did you find first? Lead us off. So first, uh, I thought was uh, the Leviathan Command Vehicle. Hmm. Now, Leviathan is a name that's being uh, applied to a couple things these days. And the Leviathan Command Vehicle is is extremely old vehicle that comes from at least Epic, I think. And uh, the only place that I've really seen it applied in 40K rules-wise, the Bell of Lost Souls guys did their Macarian Crusade rules, I think, eight years ago at this point. That was a campaign of rules they put together? Yes. Cool. One of their grand projects there. And nice. uh, the... Leviathan is basically, uh, it looks like a giant tennis shoe uh, that uh, has wheels on it and is just studded with guns, including essentially an orbital defense laser. <laughs> and it carries a couple regiments of guardsmen. And it it, it is Lord Solar Macarius's own uh, command vehicle in that campaign. I'll try to find an illustration of it and put it on the Facebook page. That'd be cool to see. I'm picturing like a porcupine of, uh, of weapons sticking out of this tennis shoe. Yes. Very cool. <laughs> The first one that I wanted to mention is something from the Skatarii Codex called the Phase Taser. I'm going to read this right from the Codex. The Phase Taser is this. It is a relic of Mars, so you can equip it to a Skatarii Alpha or a Sicarian Princeps. And uh, you can only choose one of these per army because they're so rare. There's only one in existence. So this is the Phase Taser. It is a true miracle of the machine god. The Phase Taser crackles with trans-dimensional energy, leading several curious magi to theorize it was once far more than a tool for war. 
Though seeing as every one of them subsequently disappeared without a trace, the tech priests have lately been contented to leave it in the Skatarii hands. So basically they were fussing with it and they just vanished. One struck hard by the prongs at the taser's end will instantly will be instantly and permanently transported into another dimension, effectively disappearing from reality in a burst of crackling light. So the stat line is it's a melee weapon, so it's strength plus two AP dash, melee, taser, interdimensional electrocution is its special rule. The special rule is this interdimensional electrocution. Any model that suffers one or more unsaved wounds from a weapon that has this special rule must immediately pass an initiative test or be removed from play as a casualty. So it's a taser. You get zapped with it, you fail the initiative test, and poof, you're in, you you're in another dimension. <laughs> whether it be the warp or whether it be, you know, Chuck E. Cheese 1984, you're, you're, you're just gone, right? You're just, you're sucked out of reality. I love that one. Yeah. Good luck, Eternal Warrior. <laughs> really good. Really, really, really good. Yeah, cool. What else did you find, Ian? So the other one uh, that I thought of was the thud gun. Now, this is a, a callback to the old school squats, which are a now defunct uh, 40k faction. The thud gun is a mortar with four barrels, very similar to the now Thunderfire cannon. It has rules in uh, the Imperial Armor Codex, uh, and especially applied uh, to the Siege of Rax campaign with the Death Corps of Krieg. Uh, the kind of fun thing about it is that uh, it fires a barrage, and the pinning test that it occur- incurs uh, provokes a minus two to the leadership check. So, very, very successful weapon for keeping your opponent's heads down for opponents who are susceptible to such things. <laughs> That's good. It's really good. <laughs> This next one I found, I didn't actually find. Brian sent me this one, so thank you for this one, Brian. Uh, this one's called the Transdimensional Beamer. This is a Necron weapon. The Transdimensional Beamer. This device was designed as a convenient method to dispose of unwanted debris, machinery, and failed experiments in throwaway pocket dimensions. <laughs> so the, the weapon basically creates a little pocket dimension and makes it go away. So similar to the phase taser, right? But yeah, with that I'm Necron definitely slant, seeing right? the Void Dragon in his hand right, here. Yeah. <laughs> Yet it can just as easily be turned upon living foes, banishing them forever to the nether realms. So again, that sense of bam, you're just sucked out of reality into another space. But I like the fact that it was originally basically a garbage disposal. Yeah. <laughs> Some poor space marine captain screaming, shut down all crash compactors on the detention yes, level. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. What else did you find? Uh, the last one that I thought of is not... Unique in its own right, simply its application is kind of strange, and that's the missile launcher. Hmm. Now, this weapon uh, began... So, just, just the a, stock missile launcher. The stock can, missile okay. launcher. It Do began tell. as a, a space marine weapon. Mm-hmm. And in in my mind, uh, you have this evolution of weapons generally in... Uh, in, in 40k, the LAS gun, the multi-LAS, and the LAS cannon. So are, in strength and number of shots, kind of a progression. Right. Yep. You have, you, and, and this application, you have, you have the light infantry weapon, you have the machine gun weapon, and then you have the heavy cannon version of sure. it. Right? And there is a similar progression in theme, or, or rather in projectile, between the bolter, the heavy bolter, and the missile launcher. Mm-hmm. But you do have this strange uh, misstep then between the power levels of those three. So I just thought it was kind of strange. You have the bolter, you have the heavy bolter, and then why on earth do you not have, like, the bolt caster? Right. Or the, right. Or the ballista bolter, you know, something, something along those lines. It, it, the, the missile launcher seems to be a stand-in for a more a, a, a fluffier version that never got off the page. Right, because a, a bolter is essentially a missile launcher on a different scale. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Um, 
I'm sure it's it's from back in the Rogue Trader days. You have this cobbling together of weapons. Uh, there was no consistency of weapons really between factions, and and uh, like you have uh, space ring models from those days with from those days with shuriken catapults and las guns, right. and, you know, just all kinds of things pulled from all over. And so right. the missile launcher was just oh, this is logically something that would still exist. Sure, so you have we'll a missile apply. launcher. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> The next one I wanted to mention, and I'm glad that you mentioned the Leviathan earlier, because this is along a similar lines. This is a vehicle. It's a super heavy tank called the Capital Imperialis. I like this one because it's a mobile command base, almost 50 meters tall. For some reason, a 50 meter tall, super slow command base. For some reason, I'm picturing like a cross between like the Trojan horse and something out of Monty Python. I don't yeah. know why. Just like this big, this big moving castle almost, right? Well, the logic to that fits perfectly. Perhaps if we built a large wooden badger. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 50 meters tall. It can carry two full companies of guardsmen. It's, I mean, it's absurd. It's like it, it's, it's almost Titan sized, according yeah. to the description I found online. Right. So I love the I love the notion of this capital imperialis moving so slow and so big, but nothing can get through it. It's like super armored. It's got void shields all over the place, you know. And it's like it's <laughs> like coming at you, coming at you, coming at you. Like taking the uh, the space shuttle to the launch pad. Right. That, that <laughs> tracked vehicle. In the illustration I found online, I think I found it at Lexicanum, it really does look like a badger in that it has this blunt front end and then this kind of, I assume it's some kind of loading and unloading ramp coming out of the back, like a badger tail. But it's massive. <laughs> 50 meters tall and two full companies of guardsmen is pretty awesome. It's a, it's a moving castle. I like that. We'll take a break. We'll be back. And we're back with The Chosen. Like a pick of the week, except it's not on a weekly basis. Something that's uh, stuck out that we wanted to share with the listeners. I'll start. LVO was just recently the Las Vegas Open, the big tournament. And I downloaded and used the Best Coast Pairings app for the first time. Which originally I thought was just for tournament organizers as a way to collect payments and organize rounds and to give everybody stats and to see how you were doing over the course of a tournament. It's also an interesting way to kind of spectate from afar. So you can watch who's playing. At least this is how it was organized for LVO. You could see who was playing in every game. You could see photographs that each competitor was required to take of their lists. And you could see how they were doing across the course of the tournament, which I thought was really cool. So people that I knew that were playing out there, I didn't. It, there was no text message necessary. You know, I could see, oh, you lost to Necrons. I see. You know, it... it, it, it sick burn <laughs> yeah, well, well well it's not the same as being there of course you know between best coast pairing zap and watching some of the twitch coverage from lvo it was a nice way to follow along i did like that yeah so ian what do you have for our chosen this episode so uh one of the important things for me in 40k is the fluff uh getting into your army getting into the feel of your army and and really embracing who that army represents um but there's uh, another side to that, and uh, as a, a true Jervis Johnson disciple, uh, <laughs> rest is passing. Um, <laughs> I, I really always encourage people to embrace things outside the lore to fold into it. Um, in my opinion, one of the biggest uh, inspirations for the 40k lore has always been Dune, the, mm-hmm. the Dune series. Yeah. And 
just along those lines, anytime you can, you know, find these like neat little references or allusions to other works that you can fold into your your fluff and 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 engage with in the game, I think really expands the fluff because we're here to play what we like. So why not use what we already like to expand this thing we have so much fun with? For sure. Yeah. So, Give us an example. So for me, the fluff behind my Space Marines is uh, largely actually borrowed from Deep Space Nine. Hmm, Deep Space Nine series. So uh, in the Deep Space Nine series is this grand conflict between this uh, basically inverse version of the Federation that everyone knows from uh, the Star Trek series at large. Um, And so the series really descended in kind of this like really dark angle that a lot of the other Star Trek series avoided intentionally. They kind of had this very almost aloof and and rose-tinted uh, view of of everything that the other captains approached, whereas Deep mm. Space Nine kind of confronted these problems head on and was like, "This is the gritty underbelly of of what the Federation represents." Right. And so, my Space Marine chapter, in a, in a like way, is being used and completely at the mercy of this rogue trader who kind of uses them to just be thugs and bullies. Like Interesting. They're the, in, in the series, the Jem Hadar is this really honorable and loyal warrior cast that the founders use as their thugs, as their enforcers. So, <laughs> so you see your space marines as sort of that Jem Hadar force. Yes. Hmm. Very cool. We'll take a break and be back to wrap up the show. That was episode four of Crew Shaken. I think it was a good episode. I had originally wanted to focus on just the tanks and artilleries and all the, you know, the, the metal stuff in the Imperial Guard, but I'm glad the conversation kind of broadened out and we covered a bunch of different stuff. We talked about memorizing your rules, how to do it, why to do it. In future history, we had a good time talking about strange weapons of the Imperium that, uh, those two super heavy vehicles sound like fun and that phase taser that can zap you into another dimension and that necron weapon that is basically an old garbage disposal that just also just sucks you to another dimension is also a fun one so thank you brian for that one i appreciate you sending that in and for the chosen i mentioned the best coast pairings app it is not just for tos that could be their tagline i should sell them that line and ian mentioned reaching outside of the 40k universe to influence your hobby within the 40k universe pulling references from other sci-fi spaces and uh, making your own 40k space a little bit more flavorful with those references for crew shaken i've been tim and i've been ian thank you for listening